People of God in Christ, this morning we come back to Genesis and uh, we enter the home stretch, we might say, in preaching through the book of Genesis. And we come to a, a chapter of God's Word uh, that serves, I believe, as the chapter, uh, the passage of God's Word that teaches and even defines for us what we mean by God's providence. Providence is a great word to learn and to know and to think according to uh, in our Christian lives. And, and it's not just a word, of course, but a doctrine, a, a teaching of God's word that uh, if we have learned it and if we know it and, and, and as we are thinking according to it, then it should be an understanding that guides our language as well. I'm referring to how easy it is for us to say good luck to each other. Uh, We ought to be able and willing to say, well, what should we say? Good providence? Uh, Instead, I think we ought to say what people used to say, God bless you, or God be with you. It is much to our discredit, I believe, that we are satisfied with simply saying good luck, and if not that, then simply saying goodbye to someone who is departing from us. When, I think you probably know this, the expression goodbye is, uh, is merely a, a kind of contraction Uh, a a reduction of the words, God be with you, uh, in order to uh, merely be the expression that basically means, I know that you're leaving me now, and and this is what the culture has determined that I should say to you upon your departure, so goodbye. Of course, we, we might make up for it also by uh, saying not just goodbye, but indeed, God bless you. Uh, I'm praying for you. I hope and and pray that you have a good week. Uh, Let me know how things turn out for you uh, according to the the time of of, uh, conversation that that we've had with uh, a person who is now making their departure from us. So the point is not to prohibit the expression goodbye, um, but instead to instill the knowledge and, and even the worldview, the life perspective of God's providence. What do we mean when we refer to God's providence? Words can be quite mysterious. Uh, we might spend a, a good length of time trying to figure out uh, um, figure out a given word, uh, what it means and, and why it means what it means, uh, but not so much with the word providence. It's an easy word uh, if we stop and think about it. When we refer to God's providence, uh, his providence, even by a, a surface level consideration of the word, we, we come to see that we're talking about how God provides for his people. And since his providence is found in in all the circumstances and experiences of our lives, and if we mean that literally, all things, 
then certainly God is in control of every aspect, every circumstance, every experience of comfort, as well as of suffering in our lives. Why is Genesis 45 the passage, the chapter of God's Word to teach us about God's providence? Because here we have the record of of Joseph's very memorable words, words of great significance and comfort. He said to his brothers, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into, into Egypt, but God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. And this same wisdom, this same understanding of God's providence is expressed again in Genesis 50, which means we're likely to return to this theme before we finish the book of Genesis. But in Genesis 50, Joseph said to his brothers, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So the first point this morning, looking at at the first half of Genesis 45, is God's providence understood. Isn't it remarkable that Joseph was able almost immediately to explain to his brothers the providence of God in the events of his life? We've noted before how remarkable it is that when Joseph recognized his brothers that that he didn't immediately confine them to prison and, and have them put to death. He had the power and the authority to exact an immediate revenge upon his abusive brothers. But that's the stuff of this world. What would you do? What would you do if you came face to face with the person or the persons who had robbed you of your life, uh, who had sold you into slavery, who, who were responsible for years of suffering in your life? What would you do? And we need to dwell on this more in the second point. But for now, the remarkable thing is that Joseph had it figured out. He was able to see God's hand in the things that had happened to him, even the grossly unjust things that had happened to him. And yet, as we see in Joseph, a a great example certainly to be followed, we we need to acknowledge that, that we don't always get to understand God's providence as well as Joseph did. Sometimes things happen... And, uh, and we spend a lifetime wondering why it happened. Trying to figure out how God's hand of providence might be found in it. And, and we might even go to our graves still wondering, still trying to, to figure it out. In fact, it might even be the majority experience uh, in the average Christian life that we, that we aren't given to understand why it happened, whatever it might be. But if that's the case, then, then we need the story of Joseph all the more. We need to see more than what the exact purpose is. We need to see that there is a purpose. 
Maybe you're grieving the death of a loved one. Maybe your marriage is not what you thought it would be. Maybe you were abused as a child. Maybe you are suffering a great injustice in your life. Why did it happen? Why is it happening? Well, if you don't know, it's, it's unlikely that anyone else is going to be able to tell you why. But what God's Word can tell you is that there is a reason. And the reason somehow is not just for good in, an, in any kind of a general sense, but it's even for your good. I know that can sound rather trite, rather quick and easy. And the point is not to say, oh, oh, oh don't worry, don't grieve and mourn. Just, just trust in God's providence. The Bible doesn't tell us not to mourn. But we are told not to mourn as those who have no hope. We should mourn. When we get hurt, we, we are allowed to say, ouch. In fact, we, we should say, ouch, in the very least. But the thing to keep us going after we've been hurt, even as we're still hurting, the thing to keep us going, even in the very midst of our suffering, is, is to have this promise that, that though evil is meant against us, yet God means it for good. And it's not a, it's not a divine good in some sadistic way. Uh, it's not like the abusive parents who says, they're there now, you must simply endure this. No, it's, it's a good God who, though we have given ourselves over to a life that includes evil and suffering, yet he promises that he is still working for our good. Here's the point where we, we, need to, we, we, we need an adequate doctrine of evil. Uh, an adequate doctrine of the evil one himself. Unless we have a three-party understanding of this world and of reality, we might be given to misunderstand God's providence. The point is not that God does evil and yet promises that good will come of it. The point is not that God can't keep us from suffering, but can only turn evil to our good when suffering comes. The point instead is that there is evil in this world. There is one who is the evil one. And the teaching of God's word is is that the suffering we endure, be it disappointment or discouragement or even death, that it's because we have allied ourselves with the evil one himself. This is what scripture means when when God says, "I, I, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not the sadistic God who sends or even allows his people to suffer, saying, there, there now, you must suffer so that I can be glorified. Instead, he finds us in our alliance with his own enemy, the devil. And he is so powerful, he is so much in authority over the evil one, and he is so gracious to us that he works his good will and he extends his matchless grace to us even as we suffer. 
So Joseph was given the blessing of understanding God's providence. He, he was able to understand the hand of God in the experience of suffering that he had endured. The difficulty we have, I think, is that we cannot hardly appreciate the suffering of Joseph. It's so easy for us to hear that, that someone has spent time in prison and not appreciate the degree of such, of such suffering. Uh, since moving to Terre Haute, I've had a, a couple opportunities to, to visit and, and enter the federal prison here in town. And, uh, and it's, it's, on one hand, a great experience uh, going through the security check, seeing how securely prisoners are, are held there, seeing how cut off from freedom they are and from sunshine and from, from blue sky. It makes a, a visiting person say, I'm going to be careful to do what I do. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to risk ending up here myself as a prisoner. So as, as we really stop and think about the suffering of Joseph, his brothers seized him and, and even threw him uh, into a pit to keep him from escaping. Uh, you can imagine that perhaps even then Joseph might have thought, ha ha, my brothers are, are playing a joke on me. Okay, guys, let me out now. Pull me up out of this pit. I, I, I can't get out of it on my own. Instead, yes, they, they pulled him up out of the pit, but only to bind him hands and feet and to sell him like a piece of property, to sell him as a slave to a passing band of merchants who were heading to Egypt. It was probably at that point that uh, Joseph understood that this was not any kind of a practical joke, not even one that was carried too far. From there, Joseph had been sold again as a slave to Potiphar, if you remember the story, and, and, and how Joseph, uh, Joseph endured the experience. We, we just don't know, other than God's providence. He, he had been raised as a covenant child, he had been circumcised and taught to worship the one true God. And so throughout his suffering, despite being subjected to gross injustice, Joseph continued to trust in the God of his father Jacob, the God of his grandfather Isaac, the God of his great-grandfather Abraham. And given this story of Joseph and his faith, it, it should strike us as remarkable that so many people are, are capable of renouncing, uh, of renouncing the God whom their parents taught them to worship. There is a, a kind of reverse comparison. Uh, on one hand, we can look to Joseph as an example for us to follow. On the other hand, the experience and the faith of Joseph uh, serves to convict a, a good number of people in our own day who, who in the course of one generation abandon the faith of their parents. Some, some Christians quickly pass up their parents in the, in the maturity of their faith. Other people, however, quickly regress and and even have no faith, departing from a covenant home to live an empty life focused on the, 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 the parting bless, blessings of this world. Joseph didn't do that. Instead, he believed in the God that he was taught to believe in. 
And though we aren't given the details, surely it involved a a whole lot of prayer, which Joseph had time for, sitting in a prison, wrongly accused and suffering greatly. Why didn't he grow bitter? Our own bitterness ought to prompt us to ask that question. Why Why didn't he grow bitter? Why didn't he give in to thoughts of revenge? Why didn't he give in to despair? Why didn't he uh, uh, go the way of the world? It was God's providence. But at the same time, it was by God's providence, his faith, his decision, and his determination to see God's hand in all things. And at least for Joseph, his faith was rewarded with understanding. You meant it for evil, said Joseph. He was not going to deny that evil, even great evil, had been done to him. But God meant it for good. And what good? Joseph was now the vice regent of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was uh, still the king who did not believe in the one true God, as far as we know, but Joseph was his right-hand man. And by the rule and the wisdom of Joseph, many people were being kept alive through the famine, including the lives of Joseph's own family members. And so here's the second point, God's providence and forgiveness. We need to see how remarkable it it truly is that after revealing himself, upon identifying himself as their long-lost brother, the the long-lost son of Jacob, that, that the very next thing he said, he said for the comfort of his brothers, he said, recorded in verses 4 and 5, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. You see, he he hadn't forgotten. He, he, He wasn't in denial. Uh, that's what we do all too often. We, we just don't allow ourselves to think about it and admit the wrong that was done to us. Joseph didn't do that. He identified himself not only as Joseph, but as the Joseph that his miserable brothers had sold into slavery. But the very next thing he does is to forgive them. He said, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here. For God sent you before me, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And Joseph went on to explain the, the providence of God in sending him there. Again, that's, that's the next point. But before we get to that, we really do need to give due focus to the forgiveness that Joseph offers to his brothers. The first blessing of God's providence is comfort for us, comfort for the one suffering. The first blessing of God's providence is is not that we are kept from suffering, but that as we suffer, we know, we know, as the Apostle Paul writes, that all things, in all things, God works for our good. But the cup runneth over, you see. The blessing extends. It 
It, it flows to others in our lives, even to our enemies, even to those who have caused our suffering. And it extends, it, it overflows in the form of forgiveness. Here we need to see how the devil works in our lives. A wrong is done, we are made to suffer, but now what? The husband, wounded at work, treated unjustly, returns home at the end of the day to do what? To take it out on his wife and family? Yeah, that's the way of the world. There's this idea, of course, of paying it forward. And the, and the world wants to think of only paying forward the good that comes to us. But the way of the world that comes naturally is that as evil is done to us, that gets paid forward. And so it's a vicious cycle. I'm mistreated, so I mistreat others. They are mistreated, so they mistreat the next person. And everyone is looking for justice. Every, every sufferer looks for someone, whether it's the guilty person or someone else, someone to pay the price, someone to bear the just penalty. And so it gets paid forward, and it gets paid forward, and it gets paid forward. Relationship after relationship, year after year, generation after generation, it gets paid forward. The injustice of life gets exacted upon the innocent. Where does it stop? To begin with, it must stop with Christ. It must stop with Christ. There there must be a payment, a, a, a penalty paid. And that's what the cross of Christ is. It's the payment to end all payments. It's the exacting of a debt. Joseph was not willing to exact revenge upon his brothers. Instead, the second thing out of his mouth, when he finally made himself known to his brothers, was, I forgive you. And the thing to see is that he forgave his brothers for what they had done to him because he could see God's providence in it. And we can do the same thing. And just to clarify, he, he didn't say, um, oh, what you did is no big deal. He didn't say, oh, oh, it wasn't so bad what you did to me. No, he, he simply saw God's hand in it. He recognized and he acknowledged and applied his belief in the providence of God. And so he forgave his brothers. And so it was that he explained the providence of God to his brothers, which is the third and and final point. God's providence explained. Verse 5 reads, And now, and and there's the the faith of Joseph. Here, Here is Joseph's understanding of the providence of God. That's the past. But now... Let the past remain the past. That was then. This is now. It's done. And it will not be avenged. What's important is now. What's important is what God is doing even through the wicked deeds of man. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here 
For God sent me. That's the providence of God. God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph was a genius. Mozart was a a genius in music. Uh, Napoleon was a, a genius in warfare. Einstein was a genius in physics. But you can be a genius too. Even as Joseph was a genius, but it requires the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God often revealed through the circumstances of our lives, even the circumstances of suffering in our lives. And so Joseph goes on to outline for his brother what what was happening. Uh, And isn't that our question so often? What, What is happening here? There would be five more years of drought, Joseph told them. Uh, There was plenty of food stored up in Egypt to cover the the full seven years of of drought. Uh, The only way to survive will be for Jacob and his household to come down to Egypt. Again, how remarkable that Joseph did not carry out revenge on his brothers. How remarkable that Joseph forgave his brothers. How remarkable that he did not use his power and authority to return to them and pass along to them their hurt and harm of him. But even more, even more, Joseph explained to his brothers what he knew of God's providence. Here's the plan, said Joseph. It's directly from God. And it came from God by way of my suffering. The suffering you dealt me. Five more years of famine. You will not survive. Or if you will, your children will not. Five more years of famine. The only hope, and yet the perfect and certain hope, is that you bring your family to live in Egypt. This is the Christian life. You have all your aspirations. Good for you. God's creation is a good creation. There is much joy and fulfillment to be found in in this life, but the grave awaits you. There is a famine in the land. The devil is the ruler of this world. So by all means, enjoy the pleasures of this life, but don't settle for that. Jacob would have uh, had to uh, keep sending his sons down to Egypt. It was the only place to find food. Instead, Joseph, recognizing God's providence in all of it, said, "Just, just move here. Just come down to Egypt. Bring the whole family, and I will provide for you. And it's the same providence. It's the same providence set before you, whether you're single or or have a family. It's the same providence set before you. Recognize God's providence in the gospel. See that God has provided for you in Christ Here's a point to recognize that, that the promised land was just a picture because here Jacob was called to abandon the promised land. It was time to go down to Egypt. It was time to find salvation apart even from the promised land. And the same is true for you and me. God, 
God may grant us success and, and blessing in life, but when the famine comes, it is a prompt. It is a, a providential prompt that we would not be satisfied with just staying alive. Is that all you, you really want is just to stay alive? That we would just hope for tomorrow? Or is our hope that we might be assured even of eternal life through Jesus Christ? In the end, the word providence can, can even be understood as a, a kind of synonym for the word gospel. Gospel means good news. In our, in our Thursday night Bible study, we, we just asked the question this past week, what is the gospel? What is the good news of God's word? And we answered the question according to the providence of God, the providence of God. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is the providence of God, the the providence of God, that God is the God who does not sit idly by while his people descend into hell. Instead, God acts. God does. God performs great deeds of wonder and of power. And he has done so in Christ. So decide for yourself this day, will will you live a pointless life? Will you make some money and get drunk and have sex and, and then die? Or will you receive by faith the providence of God? He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according, according to our iniquities. Instead, he provides. He is, he is in charge of history. He is in control of our lives. And the call of God is for us to trust him, to trust his, his providence and to do so for our eternal salvation, to trust his providence for our peace in, in this life, and to trust his providence as we trust him and receive his truth in this world. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Your providence, O oh God is a teaching of your word that if we will understand it and take it to heart, will afford us a great peace and the assurance even of eternal life. We know not what tomorrow will bring, but you do. And we can trust you that whatever comes and whatever happens, You are directing. You are conducting. You are sovereignly ruling and reigning over every event. Every event in the the history of the world and in the present life of the world. You are ruling and reigning over all things. And if over all things, then certainly over our puny little lives in this world. Grant that we would trust you. Grant that we would find a great peace 
and knowing that you are the God of providence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.